It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Let's take this outside with Marianne Iveson. The podcast where she speaks to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about why they connect with nature. Michael Bennett is a ski and cycling enthusiast and owner of Eurosports in Ottawa, Ontario. Michael founded Eurosports in 2004 after spending his youth working in outdoor stores in Huntsville and Ottawa and his parents' ski shop in Muskoka. Eurosports is your multi-sport lifestyle shop where every staff member fully indulges in the outdoor lifestyle. From cycling and trail running in the summer to cross-country skiing, skimo, and running in the winter months, they have you covered for all seasons. Enjoy my nerdy cross-country ski chat with Michael Bennett. This is my very first live in-person interview inside of, uh, this is so appropriate, inside of Eurosports. It's inside of a ski, bike, what else do you do in here? Skimo, trail running, snowshoe running, and not any form of cycling, pretty much. Uh, welcome to Let's Take This Outside. Thank you. I'm glad that you're the first, and this is our first time I've had a first place in a while, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's great is um, we have so many connections. We didn't actually meet till maybe a couple months ago, but Liam Walk, who is a former... <laughs> Was <laughs> a former guest on this podcast, uh, works here. He is your manager, and it just all kind of ties in and makes sense. So I'm really excited to to have you on the yeah. On the we podcast. we headhunted him pretty hard, <laughs> so it's been a long process to get him here, and it's been well worth the wait. What was it about Liam? Let's just like go on a, a Liam love fest for a second. What was it about Liam that you? Oh, definitely his smile. Yeah. 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 No. Uh, honestly, <laughs> it was uh, we probably met seven or eight years ago, actually through uh, Nordic skiing when he was instructing at uh, Mooney's Bay and sort of building his, I, I guess you could say, uh, lessons business and whatnot. So we kind of, you know, did some work with him with Rosignol, sort of help him out with gear. And uh, at the time, we just our ski business was was growing. It just it's a very traditional style of business. So it takes a while for the clubs to kind of wake up to the fact that you know what you're doing. So over time, it was uh, just a matter of keeping in touch. And, you know, he did work in a couple other retailers and whatnot. But I think he really wanted to work in a place that definitely was Nordic focused. And then his other big passion is trail running. Uh, so about two years ago now, uh, I gave him a call and said, hey, listen, you know, we definitely need somebody. And myself, I was trail running a lot, but we wanted to actually make that part of our business and we basically said hey you know you've got carte blanche on how you want to build the trail running side of our our business and uh, you know again through clubs and uh through his own business his coaching and whatnot and it worked out great so yeah the rest is history and hopefully he stays around for a long time <laughs> i hope so too and there's a few other connections here that makes it a small world so exact nutrition who has also been a guest you got you carry exact you know the guys there who are amazing you know lawrence and alistair they're wonderful they're like very passionate about what yeah. they do they had me at it doesn't freeze it's my favorite yeah. it's my favorite part <laughs> it's, of 
Yeah, you, you can't be a Nordic skier and not run into the odd chip tooth trying to bite into a frozen cliff bar. So basically when they came in, I met them many, many, many moons ago, actually. I think at the World Duathlon Championships when it was here, uh, not participating, obviously. Lawrence came by the booth and we, we swapped uh, some exact bars for a pair of uh, Innovate trail shoes. <laughs> How, how <laughs> many, how many the rest bars? is history just one box they were on sale they were an older color so after that yeah we started selling the bars great company to work with they tend to focus on specialty shops a very very big uh, advocates in terms of sponsoring events they help us with uh, events that we co-sponsor like the gravel cups uh, most of the events were associated with the ski nook series which is uh, roller skiing trail running mm-hmm. mountain biking and obviously cross country so they're always at Quebec Mega Trail every year. I mean, that's just to name a few. I think they're, they're pretty much everywhere. It's the the trail in Nordic community. It's like the bar to go to. The reason I ended up coming here and us partnering up was because I was looking for Norda shoes. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because I am I have been asking Norda. Um, if you don't know who Norda is, they are a, a trail running shoe company. Out of, it's that of Quebec, right? Yeah. Um, I've been trying to get them on the podcast for forever. Yeah. Nick, are you listening? Yeah. So this is my, <laughs> if you don't mind giving yeah. like a call to, to yeah. Nick, and say he should probably do this. I would really yeah. like that. So they're very busy. That was Liam's first big, I would say, accomplishment was, you know, when he came in uh, to start the trail running business, you know, we kind of went the traditional route with La Sportiva, Innovate. These are, you know, staple brands that we knew. Both of us had heard about Norda and it was just one of those things where, like, how do we get in touch with them? So the owner was, like, you're actually talking to the owner, which is great. This is something that, you know, people are used to when they come in here. To me, you're talking to the a guy that literally created a, a brand, and then he's still running it is, is pretty neat. So uh, we reached out to them. Uh, we got in a couple of size runs within a couple weeks. I know Liam did a n- numerous races. I did my first Harry Canal with them uh, like a week after buying the shoes and having a, apparently a cracked kneecap while running it. So, uh, yeah, it's a great company to work with. And again, you know, we're known for taking on what I would call smaller brands that might be considered high risk. But a brand like that, I mean, it's such a game changer in the trail industry right now. You know, it's been very valuable for us to work with them. Everybody that's got them has been super thrilled. I mean, it's the only running shoe that lasts 1,500K right now. It's, it's insane. So it's also nice just to kind of watch them grow. But they've been very loyal. Like, they're with us exclusively. They're not diving into the the kind of, like, mass market right now. They don't really have that intention to. So, you know, it's nice to be able to work with companies like that. Even in the last few minutes, you are showing your expertise. But where does your outdoor expertise and outdoor love stem from and start? I will try to keep this as short as possible. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't come from a, a wintry part of the country. I was born in Windsor, where Shout winter lasts. Windsor, yeah, 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 winter yeah. lasts about eight to nine minutes, uh, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Without getting too personal, my parents are separated. So when I moved in with my dad at age 12, he had taken a job in Perry Sound, uh, which is, if you don't know the area, it's kind of on the cusp of Georgian Bay. It's about 6,500 people. Might be a little more than that now. There are two things to do there in the winter. There is Snowmobile and there is a Nordic Ski Club, which has probably about 100 to 150 members at the time. Really good jackrabbit program. So when I moved there when I was 12, we didn't have the money for a snowmobile. <laughs> so skis is what it was. And uh, it was a great community to be around. And I think I did my first lob at, uh, it was like a seven and a half K. I think I finished second or third last the first day and dead last the second day. And then, you know, the next year I was just hooked and I started racing and I still never, I've yet to win the damn thing. 
been trying for 30 years. But yeah, that's where the Nordic side of it got hooked. And then everything else just fell into place because what do you do in the summer? You bike, you run, you swim. And that kind of got tied in from there. But that club was was quite a catalyst for me to getting mm. getting into it. And I was always nerded out on the technical side of it. Like my parents would go to these like sort of long drawn out dinners with other social workers which wasn't all that interesting for me so I would literally like sit in a corner and draw ski boots and draw skis or write out inventory lists of the brands I wanted in my store I was just kind of dorky that way I didn't think it would get me you know to age 47 running a shop (laughs) here we are It's funny that you bring up Windsor because I grew up in Tilbury, which is like just down the 401. (laughs) And I was always an athletic kid, but I didn't actually start my like outdoor love until actually I visited my sister. She lived in Canmore, Alberta for years, fell in love with the mountains. And then I moved to Ottawa about 10 years ago, started hiking that turned into trail running that turned into buying a bike that turned into buying Nordic skis. And there's something about I always have a love fest about Ottawa and Gatineau Park on this podcast, but there's something about this area. And I think there's only a few areas like this in in Canada that you can literally do anything year round. It's funny how like not until like my thirties, I would really, really got into it. Right. I've, I've lived here actually three times. So the, the, (laughs) the connection is that my grandfather is actually from Ottawa. So, or not originally, but lived here for as long as I could remember. So my dad and I would come here periodically ever since I was a little kid, but initially we were coming here because of the Gatineau Lobbit. So I think I was 13 when I did my first one. And that was the back when they had like the 25K. So for a 13-year-old kid, racing that distance is a little unusual. But I sucked at sprints, so I would go to the longer stuff. But I moved here actually when I was 18 to work at Pecos because I was like, oh, I need to work in a bike and ski shop and gain experience. I had already been working in a local one in Huntsville when we lived there. And it was just one of those cities that you're like, you can't not do sports if you live here. So I ended up moving away to go to Europe to race bikes, came back, uh, set up a ski shop with my parents in Muskoka for seven years, but still managed to come to Ottawa in the summers to work and kind of try different things. And eventually just in 2004, it was like, okay, time to grow up. You're 30 years old and then just focus on the shop. So that's how Eurosport started in a basement in the market. And, you know, here we are, I think almost it's what's going to be 20 years. uh, It's 18 years now. So I think you kind of already answered this question, but why do you love cross-country skiing? I think you answered this sort of, but now to this day, why I'm, I'm sitting right beside about, I don't know, 200 pairs of skis. Yeah, about that. Maybe more. Maybe more. <laughs> don't go in the basement. There's another pile. I instantly fell in love with cross-country skiing because, first of all, it's really yeah. hard, but it's also a way to combat... I don't want to say depression, but like the the winter blues. It's yeah. a way to get outside, a way to get vitamin D, a way to move your body. I would say the majority of us are not racing, mm-hmm. like cross-country skiing, but why why do you love it even to today? My first experience, I hated it. So you got to remember, <laughs> com- coming from Windsor, like there yeah. was no such thing as minus 27, minus 26. My dad took us in some trail in Perry Sound on these old wooden things with 75 mil bindings, eight or nine K. I don't know. I was 11 or 12. I think I was just up for a, a weekend visit and it was awful. And then, you know, we did the, the loppet and I think that's what's changed to living in Windsor. I mean, I played soccer with my friends in the street. I went to a predominantly Italian Roman Catholic high school. Shocking. Yeah. Being the British kid, but so skiing was just endurance sports wasn't really a thing for me. So when I kind of got involved with the club, that's when things changed uh, because there was a social aspect uh, was huge. And then it was the first time that I had actually wanted to compete in something. And uh, there was a girl in our 
our club who was sort of the fastest girl who was my age. And I remember wanting to beat her so bad in the lot, but I don't know how old I was at this time, probably 12. I skipped the water station just so I could gain an advantage on her. And um, she, of course, she caught me with like 100 meters to go or something. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, like maybe if you're hydrated, water in a seven kilometer event. <laughs> but, you know, in my head, I'm like, I'm going to plow through. And they were talking about that yeah, afterwards. Yeah. So it was pretty funny. So, yeah, it's always been racing. And it's one of those things and it, it stems into cycling and trail running. Like I, I do get the premise of going out and enjoying yourself on skis and whatnot. My pleasure is from constantly testing yourself. And, you know, even at my age, it's it's obviously we're you're getting slower. <laughs> Liam's helping me get quicker at trail running for sure. But uh, in the other sports, like you kind of watch yourself get slower with age but you push as much as you can but yeah with nordic it's just something about now i do appreciate getting out there for two three four hours just Mm -hmm. being by myself you know listening to music or a podcast while i'm skiing and then uh, also it's a lot of it just i like testing different waxes different skis stuff like that and i don't consider it work it's just a lot of fun doing that sort of thing so that's how it kind of stemmed from but yeah for sure it's always been racing most of our clients obviously don't race so you're just trying to sort of explain to them like how cool it is just to be able to go out. But you know what? With Strava, everybody's racing. Even when they're not racing, they're racing. So, and you're just challenging yourself. So that same person who just got into the sport to learn to skate ski goes from P8 to P9 and back. And they're like, the first time they did it, it took 40 minutes. And then they're down to like 28 by the end of the year. And that's a massive accomplishment. So actually a quick embarrassing story about the Gatineau Lopet. The first time I did it, I did, I was like 90th. Um, the second time I did it, I think it was in the thir- like the 30th or in that, that range. So I, I got better very, very fast because I loved it so much. But I think I would have done better because I remember I shouldn't have had a water pouch on for 10K, but yeah. I took a quick sip. It was in the last like fourth of the loppet of the race and I dropped my water bottle and I lost like probably 30 seconds oh. trying to like grab it. <laughs> So that reminded me when you said yeah. like water, I'm like, I signed up for the 10K this year. I am not bringing water with me. No, don't need I, it. Yeah. Uh, well, last year there were no water stations. We were literally just, I had gone out purposely training 50K skis without drinking mm-hmm. to get ready for it. You basically just stick your hand in the snowbank and eat a chunk of snow and away you That's go. That's the best. The exact bars. Wow. You shove them up your sleeve and away you go. So I had a couple of those and it, it worked out pretty well. So. so the whole point of this podcast is to talk about cross-country skiing and people who are interested in cross-country skiing if you're a beginner it sounds probably pretty intimidating where do you start when it comes to no matter where you live in Canada where how do you get cross-country skis what are you looking for make it as easy as possible for people slash like you know where do you ski where do you start I think that the first thing is you know why are you doing it so obviously during the pandemic everybody went crazy you had people coming in that like literally couch to skis kind of thing as we're you know majority of our clientele are usually doing other sports cycling running triathlon whatever mm-hmm. probably the biggest thing now is that there's a lot of barriers that have been broken down with new equipment so when skins came out for classic skis what does that mean what so is that? what that is is it's a form of waxless that actually works uh so before that there was these things they called fish scale or en français écaille poisson and these things would literally just work around the zero conditions. They would drag. They would make a lot of noise. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would get grip when everybody else was having trouble with their wax. The skin skis have sort of have a much broader range of grip. And what it's done now is that person that's just moved to Ottawa that's like, oh, I'd be like to get outside, but I live in a one-bedroom apartment. I don't want to 
you know, set up my apartment as a waxing station. I'm that person. I am that person. Exactly. 100%. So, and that's that's a good chunk of the city, right? So you can go into a shop like ours, and we can walk you through what your athletic background is, or if you have none at all, it doesn't really matter. You you pick this key based on the person's ability and you know weight and all these other things, and then go from there. But now you're pretty much buying your ski package, getting maybe one tube of a liquid wax to rub on the ski, wait ten minutes, brush it off, and that's it you're good for the day and one little tube will last you maybe two seasons three seasons depending on how you go so that broke down a lot of barriers in fact it was to the point where if i look at our ski wall now is about you know 60 to 70 percent classic skis as were pre-skin ski it was people were coming in grabbing skate skis skate skiing for somebody who's brand new to the sport is very intimidating (laughs) Because uh, you yeah. see people that are good at it, and it's like they're yeah. literally cruising at you know fifteen to twenty one k an hour, and it looks effortless, kind of like somebody uh, you know in a swimming pool that's very technique based, and so is classic ones. Don't get me wrong, in fact, even more so. But the fact that you know you can go out, you can get a skin ski if it's cambered correctly, you get good glide, good grip, and you know that makes all the difference in the world. If there is a drawback to skin skis, it's you can't just go into a place and just buy them off the shelf. You cannot do a traditional paper test with them. Uh, you can't even really do a clamp test with them. They have to be done basically with a machine like what we have because the sensor runs along the side of the skin, which doesn't interfere with the camber. And believe me, a skin ski can be a horrible experience if it's just bought based on the weight range that it says on the ski. So this is something that like a shop like ours is very, very, very particular about making sure that the person that comes in, if they're a neophyte and they're 140 pounds, you know, we dial the ski in for someone like that, we'll, which is why there's 300, 400 pairs of skis in the store. Because you can't just pull something off the wall and go, well, this says it's good for 110 to 160 pounds. Off you go. Guaranteed it won't work. So you really need to actually test that ski properly for someone and explain to them why you're doing it. So, yeah. So to make it simple for people, let's say you want a classic ski, you want to try it out, skin skis are probably the way to go, especially because oh, sure. I yeah, I don't have room in my place whatsoever, but also I don't want to mess with wax. So what happens is in the middle of the ski, it, usually you'd have to wax that and adjust yes. it. So now it's like it's like a is it a material or what is the skin? Yeah, it's uh pr- the good stuff is usually made with mohair basically because it's, you know, somewhat waterproof uh grips really well lasts a long time glides really well and you can wax it and brush it out so it's it's not new technology in ski mountaineering they've been using skin since well that that was downhill skiing before chairlifts ruined it and so they basically took that shrunk it down shoved it under the foot and then basically put it in a place that it sits inside the camber of the ski so again when you're off the the skin you've got good glide so that's the key thing is that you know just going out and just getting a ski based on god forbid height or something like that or just going oh well the ski says it's this weight range you know you're probably not going to get very good grip or very good glide unless it's checked and like i said it's not something you can do a paper test with so basically having that stuff under there it's all the grip you need and we're seeing now that a lot of people are using them even racers are using them for training skis because it's just convenient you can just run out the door and go like we're what 30 40 meters from the Mississippi trail on the side of the river so sometimes after work if i only have like an hour i could just run down there literally in my ski boots slap them on and go back and forth for 15k or something like that something i was thinking about as we're talking is the difference between classic 
and skate. And I have my own opinions mm. <laughs> <laughs> on it, but maybe you can help me with this. But classic, you have more backcountry options. You have more skiing options. Usually, I don't yes. know about all the clubs across Canada or the U.S. or wherever that is, but I know here you have more skiing options with classic. Correct? Yes. It's also if there's a, an expression in skiing that classic it takes a day to learn and a lifetime to master, mm-hmm. and skating's the other way around. So, I mean, both sports are very technical. But you can literally just go out and walk on your skis if you want to. Um, the goal should be to get to the point where you're getting glide. I mean, the, the enjoyment is from being able to move efficiently as possible, right? So, uh, but with classic, again, like if you think about like the Kitchissippi, f- for me anyway, personally, it's uh, there's a lot of narrower sections. It's just nicer just to do classic on it. They do have these little skate sections that work well. Britannia Winter Trail is another really good one. I would think they've got another one in Orleans now. But with classic, you can pretty much go anywhere. There's no such thing really as a dedicated skate trail. The only drawback to classic is this time of year when you're looking at man-made snow. So if you go to the Knacker track out in Cantley, you will be predominantly skating first because it doesn't require as much base because you obviously don't have to put grooves in the snow. Mm-hmm. So, But for most people, it, it kind of depends where they're coming from. If you're coming to this sport and you're like, I don't know what I want to do and I don't really do a lot of other sports, classic is great. If you want to take them to the cottage and go boot around on the lake, sure. Again, different kind of ski, but still that would be the technique that would make the most sense. Mm-hmm. When we get people coming in for like competitive cyclists or, or even just what I would call like active fit, mm-hmm cyclists, triathletes, whatever, they tend to drift towards skating because I think they just like the whole Lycra thing and whatnot. So having said that, you should still wear Lycra when you're classic skiing as well. You don't have to. (laughs) Yeah. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Let's take this outside with Marianne Iveson say you've been skiing for a while what are some things to upgrade or be a better skier I love I I think you know it depends on your on your budget and want it to be accessible for everyone but if you can find a good coach if you can find someone so I would love to know like how do you upgrade how do you become faster how do you become a better skier the equipment does make a massive difference when you're at the competitive end and when I say massive like 
eight to ten percent is actually massive. But technique is pretty much everything in this sport, both skating and classic. Uh, there are a lot of incredibly strong cyclists out there that have taken up skate skiing, and they are literally brutal to watch. But they're fast because they have a they have a big engine. <laughs> So, you know, I mean, one of one yeah. of my close friends is uh, he's, you know, probably one of the top masters in the country in road cycling. And, you know, we ski together and yeah, I mean, he, he can drop me easily. And I've been skiing my whole life, but it's just it's like a frog on a hot plate. It's just a really unusual looking technique. So imagine so, so imagine he dialed in his. Yeah, he would go significantly faster. And he's already fast. So, and you, you do see that. So, I mean, it is something that, I mean, the refinement of the technique uh, makes a massive difference. I still uh, spend time with Liam, uh, with Dave McMahon, people that I know that are better technicians than I am, because also the techniques have changed a bit over the years. You know, when I started, we used to offset everywhere in races, and now everybody one skates, as an example, which is where you pull every time you, you mm. skate. Classic is completely changed uh, most of them are double pulling around everywhere and they're literally only diagonal striding when going up an incline of a certain gradient uh, so where we used to diagonal stride everywhere so there the techniques have definitely changed for the rec skier i would say for classic yes yeah, still focus on diagonal stride it's the the most efficient one and it's actually more enjoyable than just pulling around sort of thing so and when i started i remember too and i maybe this isn't the best idea but like i like if you just want to learn a little bit like there are youtube there's so many youtube videos about oh, like for sure. about technique but and there's nothing beats one on one um, I know yeah. during the pandemic it was really hard because there were so many people taking up skiing and uh, it was also a, almost like a cultural shift. I, I remember going down the, the Kitchissippi uh, one night and I passed these three dudes wearing like senators jerseys that obviously had just gotten into Nordic. And they were they were literally having an argument between skin skis versus fish scales. And I'm like, okay, this is the kind of thing you would hear maybe in Trondheim in Norway, not in Canada. You'd think they'd be discussing about like last week's loss or something from the sense. So it was like, oh, okay, well, this is... This is interesting. So it was, it was nice to see progress in that direction. So You've mentioned your shop a couple of yeah. times, but I want to know a little bit more about, obviously, you have a long history of selling people outdoor mm-hmm. gear, but Eurosport specifically, you said around 20 years, yeah. right? And so what does it look like now? And yeah, what do you specialize in other than... The general rule of thumb here is if you walk in the shop, everybody that you talk to is not just an active participant in the sports we sell, but is probably competing. Actually, everybody has now come to think of it. So we would never get into something just to make money. If tomorrow downhill skiing was the biggest thing, I wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. I, it's not my specialty. I don't have any interest in anything that involves chair lifts. And it's something I'm not passionate about. So why do it? When it comes to you know Nordic, I've been racing off and on since I was a kid. We're involved with most of the race clubs in town in some sort of sponsorship venue or whatever. And it's the same, like we got into ski mountaineering strictly, again, this is Nathan's side project. So it's kind of how Liam took the trail running on, you know, Nathan got into the schemo and then, you know, we got a little bit of it. And then last year I did my first actual schemo race thinking, okay, I've got cross country lungs. I got to kick 
uh, can I say that word? No. Kick ass? Yes. We'll, just, we'll, put, an ex- we'll put explicit <laughs> okay. on the explicit. Uh, ready yeah, that, that, yeah. that didn't pan out, but it was a really good learning experience. But it is something that, you know, spending quite a lot of time on the different skis and testing things out, you know, gives us the knowledge base nobody else has. Plus, we focus on the lightweight stuff anyway. I mean, the, the heavy stuff for ski mountaineering is kind of useless around this area. The lightweight stuff is far more enjoyable. You can go to Mont Marie, you can go to Tremblant. There's rumors that there's a new place that's going to be allowing it this year, uh, which is much closer, so I won't get into that. So it is something that's taken off. Liam mentioned this before too in the podcast. Mm. What is Schemo? <laughs> there's two facets. So there's what they call alpine touring, which is basically take your downhill equipment. Uh, it's a basically a binding that releases from the heel that allows you to walk up the hill on your skis. So that stuff weighs a ton. It's pretty much downhill equipment, marginally lighter. Um, and it's designed for, you know, going out West and going up the powder mountains and into places like what they call backcountry, where you don't really have access either by a chairlift or, you know, maybe helicopter or something like that. Ski Mo is a little bit different. It's definitely much more European in origins. So the equipment weighs about half of what your average Alpine ski does. As an example, my racing Kessleys are probably about 50 grams heavier than my skate skis. So it shows you how light this stuff is. And they are designed to basically march uphill at high speed. But then coming down, you know, obviously you don't have the the super locked in stability that you would from like a pure heavy alpine stuff. But it also means, you know, you you kind of need to know how to ski a bit. And I think the way things have gone between like the downhill mount, uh, equipment, just like in mountain biking, it's just gotten to the point where it's so easy to use that the skill levels are starting to drop a bit. Uh, so with Schemo... Even the the fatter stuff that you can go do the shick shocks with or whatever. Again, the focus is on lightweight and on the on getting up to the top of the hill, getting across the hill, clicking in and going down. And then you basically pull the skins off, and that's where your glides come from. So you put the skins in your backpack or in your jersey, and then switch it back and forth. So it is something that Schemo East uh, has a series in Quebec through all the major uh, hills. There, they're getting anywhere from thirty to eighty people per event. So it is growing. The pandemic launched it a lot because the chairlifts were shut down. Mm-hmm. So Mont Saint Marie, I've noticed there's a more and more people every year going. I guess apparently they have some lift issues occasionally, <laughs> so people have gotten into it by default. But it is a sector that is growing. Like I said, there are places like Trailhead, for example, focuses on the heavier stuff. Mm-hmm. We focus on the the lighter stuff. Again, people coming more from cross country to schemo rather than say from alpine to schemo. You also have winter running stuff too. Yes, because the runners do run year-round. We would like them all to ski, but (laughs) they have big events coming up in May. So we do offer spike shoes from Icebug and from Norda. So uh, Norda being Canadian, I think that was a smart move on their part to dive right into that. So Icebug's been doing it forever. They're a small Swedish company that uh, focuses predominantly on trail shoes. Uh, They're huge in the orienteering market, and so for us, yeah, they've... uh, they do a Gore-Tex version, so especially around here when we get all the slush and then the temp drops to minus 10. There's so much ice. It's a lifesaver. Even running on the road, if you had a patch of black ice, you're not going to go down. Spring and summer, what can we look forward to? Again, our main focus uh, has always been bikes for sure. But like I said, our, our trail business, uh, trail shoe business has been quite hectic. Again, like between Liam and I and Nathan, we're at various events all year competing in and then also even like we're sponsoring uh the trail de cologne next year uh we're working on something with natural fitness lab for next year and nice. Dave McMahon. so in terms of bikes we do tend to focus more on kind of like the performance oriented stuff so the last few years gravel has been a big thing uh we have our own custom brand called prologue which has been in existence actually since 1994 it's the first company i started and still 
under the same name today. We also do road, cross, gravel, cross-country mountains. So again, no chairlifts, even track bikes, that things like so that. That sounds so hard. I, well, so hard. it's not. It's not. Earn your turns. That's how it works. So, <laughs> But when it comes down to, uh, yeah, the bike side of business, we're kind of we tend to be sort of hyper-focused on that market. We do carry other brands as well, such as, you know, Felt, Orbea, uh, some really cool niche brands like Farah from Norway, Colnago from Italy, and Villiers, stuff like that. So there, there's definitely something for everybody. The good thing is we do have from Felt, like people that want to get into gravel riding, don't want to spend a fortune, they make a great bike around 1600 bucks. We do realize that the ceiling is getting higher and higher. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and it's something you know because we're heavily involved with uh, a lot of junior racers with the OBC. Uh, we're trying to keep the cost down for parents when they come in and they're like, "Okay, my son would like to try cycling," and you throw them a seven thousand dollar bike at them. It's quite an investment, you know. The old adage was, oh, take up cycling, it's cheaper than hockey. Well, now it's <laughs> not anymore. Uh, so, you know, we're always trying to kind of work with uh, the companies that we deal with, including our own company, just trying to make those those barriers as minimal as possible. Do you have any other uh, thoughts more on cross-country skiing before uh, before you wrap this up? Yeah, the, the best advice I could give to somebody is, you know, if you're not sure, there are places you can rent 100% take a lesson, join a club, join Natural Fitness Lab, or, you know, take lessons from Liam. It's also yeah, another he's one. My guy. he's my guy. Yeah, yeah. and uh, NFL also, like with uh, Dave McMahon and Lise Milosh, also do lessons. Uh, those are probably like the largest uh, ones if you're an adult. If you're under 18, I mean, you've got uh, Knacker Talk, you've got uh, Kanata Nordic, Chelsea Nordic. So there's a lot of good clubs. Ski Nook is uh, one that we've been working with closely, which actually hosts events, which is fantastic. So there's lots of options there. Definitely do not think you're gaining anything by buying used equipment. Be very careful uh, because it is a weight-based sport. Chances are the person that is selling you the skis just wants them out of their garage. So definitely do your due diligence. Call a few shops. Make sure that they actually properly test skis. Like I said, we are the only ones that have a ski selector in North America, which is a Swedish machine that can test skin skis properly, but also find the right skis for anyone, whether they're a debutante or whether they're, you know, been going to the Olympics. And we, we get skis shipped here from Alberta to test for the provincial team and then ship them back. So it's like, that's one level. But that person that comes is like, I've never skied before. You deserve the exact same service. It's not just, oh, here, this will work off the wall and then kick you out the door or send you the cash register. It's not that simple. Our goal is, yeah, we want to sell skis, but we want to grow the sport. We're not going to grow the sport if you go out and hate it because the skis don't work. I was just going to say that I think that a lot of people hate it because they have the wrong. Exactly. And that is probably about 70% of people that quit skiing like i have this conspiracy theory that downhill shops sell cross-country skis to sell more downhill skis <laughs> so you go in and you're like there there's those those things on the side and then they buy them and they come out and go oh this is hard work and they come back and buy a two thousand dollar downhill package but i know it's not true but it's just funny to think about starting that. conspiracy theories yeah. but it does it is something that especially in classic i mean it's the ski has to be able to kick and it has to be able to glide and that's 100 percent weight based and you can't just go in and pull something off a wall because a ski that says it's good for 140 pounds to 100 or 140 to 180 pounds basically what that's saying is that the 140 pound person has to be an elite athlete and the 180 pound person basically uh has to have never skied before a day in their life most places just go well you're in the range off you go so if the ski's too stiff you won't get any grip so you come to the first hill you start slipping then the first thought is oh i don't know how to ski the skis end up in the garage or on kijiji and then you're back 
doing whatever you're doing before. The way we do it with testing and whatnot, we leave the door open for, I would say, inconsistencies. You know, we had a client a few years ago bought a super high-end ski because everything he owns is high-end. And he's like, I can't get grip. I can't grip grip. And I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense. The testing shows you should. So he said he'd been skiing for years, gave him a softer pair, came back, still couldn't get grip. I'm like, all right, this is odd. Let's go skiing together. He loves high-end stuff. He was just basically walking on the skis. So we had to find him a super high-end ski that was soft enough that he could actually compress. And he loves it. It works. Oh you know, he gets gliding, yeah. gets grip. But he really wanted a World Cup ski. <laughs> so sometimes, you know, you have to kind of work with that as well. So, and the door is very, very wide open, like in terms of our policy, because we have the testing machine, we can really pinpoint it. We can ship skis all over the country that are going to mm -hmm. be bang on accurate for people because of that. And this is stuff that you can't get from a paper test or a crank machine or a, you know, they're just not accurate enough. How do people find out more? Um, how do people get more of your expertise? Call you, message you? Yeah, calling email right now. We are uh, quietly in the, the works of making like what we would call science of skiing videos. It's just we've been so busy. Um, and this will. good. <laughs> yeah, which is good. Like I've been writing scripts basically about how to choose skis predominantly and then also like little, not necessarily technique tips, but this will be something we'll be working with Natural Fitness Lab and Liam, of course, uh, about stuff like that, but also. It's not just going to be focused on, again, buying the best skis to go to the Olympics with. There'll be a fair amount of that, but we want people that want to come to the sport and not assume that that's their end goal. Mm. They just want to go out in the bush and have fun. Again, if the skis don't work, you're not going to have any fun. So there's got to be a certain amount of information out there. And there just isn't. Like you go on YouTube and it's like most of it's really antiquated or it's wrong. And then let's not even get into the influencers. I mean, just, that's a whole other pile of, of bad advice blowing yeah, yeah, around. Yeah. So. so website? Uh, website. But uh, by all means, like call us if you have questions and email us if you have questions. We're happy to get as nerdy as you want, you know, within reason of what's required. So like we literally on a regular basis, will get an email saying I'm looking for, you know, a skate ski for powder conditions, generally minus 10 to minus 20. And I'm 160 pound master racer. We'll find that, that ski for that person. We'll have to go through 15 pair to do it, but we'll do it. It's not, it's not an off the wall kind of like, yeah, this will work kind of thing. So, and that's the same for, it's like, I'm new to skiing. What should I do? You find out their sporting background and kind of other things that they want to work with. We had a guy in here last week that's got a bit of a degenerative issue in his legs. So he wanted to classically put him on BC boots because they were super stable and they kept him upright and then still managed to get him on a decent ski that worked out well for him. So you know, these are the kinds of things that you have to sort of, you have to understand the sport and you have to understand your client really well. And because like if somebody comes in here and says, well, what is this ski like? I know because I've tried it. And so is all the staff as we're, mm -hmm. you know, that seems to have been lost a bit over the years. So we can tell you what every boot is going to feel like because we've used it and what every ski is going to feel like in what conditions because we've used it. Mm -hmm. And when you ski five days a week, there's so much opportunity to try different things. Thank you for being my Nordic expert. <laughs> no worries. Michael, thank you for joining me. Well, you'll Let's like take this outside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening. For more Let's Take This Outside, go to letstakethisoutside.ca. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. 
Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to WhatSheSaidTalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on BlastTheRadio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.